Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church, as Pastor Joel preaches from Genesis chapters 7 and 8, with a message entitled, The Flood. I'd like to begin today by reading a passage of scripture that's actually not in the passage we'll be focused on, but it'll set us up. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Peter in chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, the Pew Bible is in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you, and it's on page 958. So Pew Bible is a 958, 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to ask you if you, if you wouldn't mind uh, standing as I read uh, verse 9 through verse 12. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. There is a day of justice coming for each one of us. God is all-powerful, His timing is always perfect. And so as Peter was writing these words, I think the question that he posed to each one of us is the correct question. What sort of people ought we to be as we wait for this day of the Lord? Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we come to your text, the words that you've inspired by the Holy Spirit, written through men for us today, would you open our eyes so that we could see, Lord? Open our ears so that we could hear what you'd have for us And this morning, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we could respond, that we would understand, Lord, that we would know you better as we leave here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You could have a seat. Thank you. Uh, Before we get to Genesis 7 and 8, that's where we'll be at this morning, uh, I actually want to take you to a place where Peter wrote these last words that we just read about. He was in, in prison in Rome. Uh, And prisons in Rome during that time weren't like the prisons that we think of uh, here. Uh, Prisons in Rome during that time were not meant to punish people. They were actually just holding cells before they were going to be punished. And if they were going to be executed, you'd just throw them somewhere so they couldn't run away, and then you would execute them afterwards, or they'd be slaves or whatever punishment would be. Uh, So they didn't care about you in that holding cell. They just didn't want you to run away. They didn't didn't care if they fed you or clothed you or any of of that stuff. Uh, I was actually able to stumble into a Roman prison when we were over uh, as missionaries in Slovenia. We visited Rome, uh, and we were in the Roman Forum. If any of you have been to Rome, 
Oh, it's so cool. Roman Forum, and there's all these ruins that are there that you can just pretty much just walk over and explore. So we're walking over the, this Roman Forum, this huge, long, like, block of ruins, and there behind this one church, in, down below, in, like, the basement, there was this open door, uh, and so we stumbled into this open door. Uh, and, and there, as we walked in, I almost had to duck because the ceiling couldn't have been more than six foot tall. It's about 12 foot uh, large building, all stone. Um, our eyes had to adjust because in, in Italy it's very bright and you go in and it's very dark, so you couldn't hardly see anything except for this one like shaft of light that was coming through this hole uh, in the ceiling. As we walked in to kind of explore what this place was, we saw a plaque on the wall and it said, this is the Maritime Prison. And on that, there were listed uh, Paul and Peter had stayed there. This is the place that Peter and Paul were before they were executed in Rome. Now, I want you to imagine with me what it would have been like for Peter to be in that maritime prison. Uh, most likely, he was uh, hurled down through that hole in the ceiling down to this prison, only later to be shackled to the wall. Uh, there was no bathroom there, there was no food, there was no clothing. And, and there Peter sits. Uh, the only hope, the only light was coming through this little hole in the ceiling. So in that, that darkness, he would look up and listen for any sound of a friend or a family coming to bring him some food or, or good news or, or anything at all. Uh, sitting there in his, in his own waist, not being able to even move. I, I, I have to wonder in the middle of the night when it was completely dark, if Peter was just like, Lord, what am I doing here? Have you forgot about me? Lord, how long? Well, there's somehow, whether a friend brought it or, or scribed it down, or somehow Peter in this position ends up inspired by the Spirit, writes this letter that we call Second Peter. He, he begins to scroll uh, this letter that says, I, Peter, a slave of Jesus Christ. Peter, in that prison cell, knew that I'm not held captive by the chains and the shackles on me. I'm held captive by the love of Jesus. Peter knew that if God wanted him free, he could have totally shaken things up and the shackles would have fallen off, the doors would have opened, and he would have been free. He knew that because he had experienced that before. He knew God was all-powerful. But he also knew God's timing and his purpose were, were for sure, were a certainty in his life. So as he sat there in that prison... Knowing that the day of the Lord is coming, there is going to be a judgment for everyone. He pens the letter. What sort of people ought we to be as we're waiting here in the trial, in the storm? Well, in the same way that Peter knew that there was a purpose in this trial, there's a purpose in his storm. We're going to see today in the flood story that there is a purpose in every storm. There's a reason for the trial that you're going through. We're, we're going to see this this morning. Now, you might be asking, what's the, what's the purpose of the trial that I'm going through? What's the purpose of the struggles I have with my marriage, the broken dreams of my future? What's the purpose? What's the reason for these health issues that I'm struggling through? What's the purpose of my suffering? Well, that brings us back to our text today. So if you have a Bible, open it to Genesis 7. 
we're going we're gonna to look at the story of Noah and the flood, and we're actually going to see God's kindness and patience in, in this storm that Noah is walking through, doing three things to Noah. Uh, he, it's preparing Noah. It's preparing Noah to walk by faith, to, to let go of control and give God control. It's preparing Noah in the storm. The second thing we're going to see is he's protecting Noah. He protects him Noah by putting him in the ship in the middle of the storm. He doesn't take the storm away. He protects him in the storm. And the third thing is it's going to be producing in Noah this heart of praise. It's going to be preparing Noah, protecting Noah, and producing in Noah this heart of, of praise. That'll be our outline today as well. So first let's look and see how God is preparing Noah. Chapter 7 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in, in this generation. Take with, take with you seven pairs of clean animals, a male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the, flood of, when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of ev everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. Let's stop right there. If you remember, if you've been with us in this series or just know this story, it had been a hundred years that Noah was building and preparing for this ark, for this flood that would come. A hundred years Noah's living in a violent, corrupt world, walking with God. Each step learning to trust God, going, Lord, when? And with each step, he grew in his faith for a hundred years until we finally get to this biggest step of all when God says, I want you to step in the boat now. You, your family, and all the animals, get into the boat. It may seem like a, a small thing, but he was actually asking him to leave behind everything he knew. He, he was asking, I want you to surrender your life over in the boat. You're going to surrender your identity. You're, you're no longer going to be Noah, the boat maker. It's, it's done. Your identity is, is now no longer in a boat maker. It's being found in the boat. He asked him to put your hammer down, put the saw down, stop your work, and just come into the boat. Now, the, now the boat was made like with pitch inside and out with only one window on top. So as you're walking into this boat, it would have been completely dark. And Noah wouldn't have known, is, what's the future hold? How, how long am I in the boat? Am I ever going to get out of the boat? Is this where I step in to die? Will I never again set face on the dry ground again? Uh, I don't know, but I'm following the Lord in this step of faith to give up control. But Noah's not alone. He has his family with him, but he also has these animals that God brings with him. 
Uh, and this is a very curious thing. There, some of them are coming, and there's like two of them, a male and a female. Well, that makes sense, because then they can kind of recreate the world afterwards. But then there's these other groups of people, and there's like a huge group of them. And so Noah looks, and he's like, oh, yeah, well, there's the pigs, two little pigs coming in. Oh, that's great. Uh, there's the sheep. Oh, man, well, there's a lot of you guys. We're going to have to put somewhere you. And we find the difference between these two sets of animals. Uh, the text described us as clean and unclean animals. You might be asking then, well, what is a clean animal? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Because Noah would have asked the same question. What, what do you mean clean animals? Uh, clean and unclean is a way to describe something that we've given to in Leviticus. That's way far in the, the future. All we know is, is that uh, Noah sees two groups of people, two sets of groups of people, sets of animals that he brings uh, onto the ark, one of them clean and one of them unclean. It appears, if you're reading back to it from Moses' day, that God is preparing Noah to become a priest, to, to sacrifice pleasing and and right sacrifices to the Lord without Noah even knowing it. Well, God has been at work in Noah for a hundred years and prepares him right up to the time he steps into the ark without sometimes him even knowing it. He's just taking these small steps of faith. I think there's a warning to us in this that I want to make this observation right away. I want to say don't mistake God's patience for weakness. Don't mistake God's patience for weakness. In that storm, God wasn't twiddling his thumbs, figuring out how he was going to do it. He was working in Noah. There's, there's something I want to do inside you, Noah, that I need to spend this time doing. I'm developing this faith in you so that when we get to the point that you need to step in the boat, that you'll do it. It's the same for us. The, the storm that you're in right now is actually preparing you there's something going on inside of you that God wants to use later for his glory. Maybe it's just a small step of faith now that's going to grow over the years. God is at work in the storm preparing you. Now, I want you to stay with me because we're going to see now how God protects Noah in the storm by actually placing him in the ark, inviting him in the ark. Noah's striving is done. There's no more work. And in this next section that we're going to read about, uh, Noah doesn't do anything. But there's a lot of stuff happening, but it's God doing all the work. He, he's opening and closing windows and, and doors. And all that Noah does in this next section is rest. Noah rests in the boat. Uh, it's kind of a little bit ironic because Noah's name in Hebrew actually means rest or relief. Noah in the boat, rest in the boat. Uh, and so as we get to this next section, it's a little bit longer section, and, and as I read it, even as I first started reading it this, earlier this week, uh, I'm like, I want to, I come on, let's go. Let's, they repeat things again and again. There's details, and I'm like, what's it matter? Like, let's go, let's go. And I think there's an intentional purpose of the author and the, the spirit as he's uh, prompting Moses to write all this thing to slow us down, to, to, to rest in the boat. Uh, so I'm going to read the whole thing. And if you find, your, if you find yourselves at times going, oh, come on, let's get moving. 
just let the words go. Oh, no, no, no. I just need to rest. I just need to be in the boat. Starting in verse 11 of chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with him, uh, with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land, in whose nostril was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Chapter 8. But God remembered Noah. Not that he forgot Noah, but that God is about to move and act again. But God remembered Noah, and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind, a breath, a spirit, Spirit, blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from heaven was rest restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of a hundred and fifty days, the water was abate, had abated, and in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, on the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth, and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters have subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited. 
another seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. We'll stop right there. We could see that there was a, there was a judgment coming. There was a day of the Lord that was coming for all of mankind, for all of creation. But God protected Noah and these animals in the ark. In the ark as they stepped in month after month. Did you see that? Of just darkness. Until a better part of a year, until finally they opened one window up, up top. So that Noah can't see, he can't look out at any of his circumstances around him for such a long time. And then when he's finally ready, when God's finally ready, he says, open the window and all he can look up is up. He stepped into this boat. There's no rudder on this boat. There's no steering wheel on this boat. It's a yacht with no directions whatsoever. You can't go any, you're stepping on this boat and going, I have no control. God, I'm giving it up to you. And God goes, this is where I want you to stay and I want you to just look up. Trust me and pray and pray and pray. And I wonder if there was, this, if there was a little bit of a struggle with Noah and his kids though. If you've ever been on a road trip with your kids for a year, uh, wondering how many, <laughs> how many times did Noah's kids go, hey, Dad, are we there yet? Hey, Dad, I think I heard something. Hey, Dad, can we get off the boat yet? Wondering if even the panic of staying on that boat for over a year got into some of them and like, I just want out. I just, I'm just done. The, the pressures of uh, not being able to move, not going anywhere, the I think it'd be like similar to if you've ever been in a financial pressure where you just, you're under on something and you're just wondering, Lord, how am I going to get out of this? And it's just panicking. Uh, health situations. Uh, you, when a, a marriage is just going awry and you're just like, how long can I stay in this? I just need to get out. And, and, and Noah's just like, no, 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 no. We're right where we need to be. Wait right here. We're in the safest place we can be in the storm or in the boat. The best place to be in the middle of any storm is to rest in the boat. There's a picture of this later on in the New Testament. The best place to be in the storms in your life is to rest in Jesus. To stop striving and to simply look up and pray. See, God protected Noah in the ark teaching him to give up that control, looking only to heaven and letting God guide him, resting in the boat. This brings us to our last one. Finally, we're going to see that God uses the storm to produce this heart of praise in Noah, this heart that's overflowing with thankfulness in Noah. Look in verse 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And God said to Noah, and this is actually an exact uh, same quote as when they went into the ark. You're going to see the exact same quote as they go out of the ark. Verse 16, he says, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you 
every living thing that is with you, of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. After a hundred years of building an ark, over a year in the ark, they finally off the ark and they're entering into this really this new creation, this recreation of the world. And the very first thing he does, I mean, if you just got off the ark, what would the very first thing you do? Well, I don't know if it would be what Noah did, but Noah gets off the ark and the very first thing he does is, I got to build an altar. And then he makes this, this sacrifice. How does he know what to do? If you were in the time of Moses listening to this story and hearing about Noah, you would be like, how did Noah know how to make a sacrifice that would please the Lord? I mean, we've got like the whole law in front of us, and yet we struggle to try and do that, to, to give an offering that's pleasing to the Lord. And here's Noah on a mountain with an altar giving a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord, and he doesn't even know how to do it. I think it shows it's, it's not in the requirements of the law, like as if you can get everything right, but it's this overflow of a thankful and grateful heart. Noah doesn't need to know the law to go, Lord, you, what do what you got? Everything. What do you want? I'll give it to you. Because I was, a, I was a slave inside. I was in prison in this ship, and now I'm free. I walked into this dark death, and I had no idea, but now I'm alive again. He's like, I have like this resurrected life, this resurrected earth. And Noah just goes, what do you want? On a mountain, sacrificing this pleasing aroma to the Lord. And, and that is like this image, even for the, the people in Moses' day, like if you want to be a, like a true priest to the Lord, let it come from an overflow of your heart. Not, not by if you can get everything right in the law. So even this morning as you're thinking, boy, what do I need to do when I leave here? Well, there might be things you need to do, but it should come from the overflow of a heart. That's what God wants. Th this idea of a, of a priest fulfilling and sacrificing a pleasing, some, pleasing uh, sacrifice to the Lord on a mountain actually points to uh, an, even, an even greater priest later on, who on a mountain offers his very life as a pleasing gift to the Lord for the joy that's set before him. This overflow of his heart goes, I'm going to... Make things right. We don't have a, a God that is distant from our struggles or our pains. Uh, we have a God that came down to be with us in the storm. I think that's why Peter could rest in that prison uh, as the Spirit led him to write that thing because, because God was with him in the prison. God was there with his hands were shackled. He came to Noah in the boat. He was tossed about in the darkness. And he's with you in your storm. Now we know God can calm all the storms. We saw Jesus do that. 
He could, he could take it away if he wanted to. And if he hasn't, and you're waiting in this storm, it's not because he's weak. It's not because he can't take it away. It's because he has a purpose. It might be preparing you for something that God wants to do in your life later on. It's some glory that he wants to you to praise out for him. It, it could be that he's actually protecting you in that storm. That he's, that he's making you give up control of your life so that you don't mess it up more than you already have. And maybe that storm is producing in you something of a heart of praise to God, bringing glory to God. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The trial, the storm that you're going through is preparing in you something for all eternity. And so when Peter writes this letter, he comes to the conclusion of his letter and goes, so what sort of people ought we to be? Here's what I'm going to suggest. People, we ought to be in the storm. We are to wait, but not wait idly, not wait lazily, not just going, I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. We see an active waiting on the part of Noah as he's actively preparing for that day. I think for us, we need to learn to take steps of faith every day. Just the little steps of faith along the way. We need to learn to give up control that maybe not be the way that we intended it or we wanted it or the direction that we would go, but that we let go and go, okay, Lord, I'm following you. I know you're with me in this. Let's go. It's teaching us to look up in the storm, not look around, not look at our circumstances or our situations, but finding our protection and our guidance from the Lord. Feeling on those dark days that when we look around and we can't see, we can't get any focus, and the Lord goes, there's one window right up there. Just look up. Pray. And then spend time recalling the blessings. Develop this heart of praise for the kindness of God. And I just want to bring us back really quickly uh, to Noah. The hundred years before uh, he gets on the boat, he, he's, he's spent working in a violent horrible world that's making fun of him, probably throwing things at him. It's a, it's a horrible time for a hundred years, and God's been developing something in him, but not just developing something in him. He's using him as a witness for all the rest of the world to let them know there is a judgment coming. There is a day coming when your life will be over, that you'll stand before the judge. That hundred years was a gracious gift of God for everyone who saw to say, get on the boat. Come on, get in the boat. Stop striving. Get in the boat. And so my encouragement to you this morning, if you have not found yourself in the boat, and the New Testament writers talk about being found in Jesus, and if you wonder what does that mean to be in Jesus, just picture being in the boat, in the storm. We're in Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. We find ourselves... Uh, Joined together with Christ. That's what it means to be in 
Christ. What happens to him happens to us. And if you're in a storm right now, look up. You'll get through. God's timing is perfect. Hang on. Pray. Let go of control. Let's pray. Lord, each, each one of us is, is somewhere on this journey, either preparing for a trial or in a trial or just coming out of a trial. And Lord, I know I need to be reminded often that there is purpose in that storm, that you are doing something in me, that, that the things that seem like they don't mean anything, that there's no purpose or reason. Lord, uh, from earthly stance, it may seem like that, but we need to be reminded that you have a purpose for every storm we go through. Lord, would you help us to be humble people who look to you, that, that we find our protection, we find our refuge in you, that we pray and wait and eagerly prepare for that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. I want to end uh, with the prayer of Psalms 40. So you bow your, your heads with me. This is the, to the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And Lord, as we uh, step into storms this week or come out of storms this week, would we respond to your goodness and kindness and patience with us with hearts of praise that would be a witness to our world. And Lord, when we're in the belly of the fish, when we're in the belly of the ark and the storm is raging, Lord, help us to look up and know that you're there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.